So hey, Grace Church, how are you doing this morning? I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to teach you on James chapter 3 this morning. But what I'm most excited about is that today is the opening day of the NFL, honestly. And so, so uh, yeah. And so I want to bless all your teams except for the Cowboys and the Steelers. Everybody except them. And uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's pray today. Let's pray together today. And uh, we're just going to jump right into our sermon. Father, thank you. For this day, God, I, I just commit our time together to you, God. I pray for your anointing on my message today, God. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. And I pray, God, that you would just honor your word today. Lift it up as I honor your word, God, that you would just do an amazing work of grace in every way. And uh, Lord God, thank you for everyone that's here today. And I just pray, God, that as we, as we sup with your word, I pray, God, that it would be real and powerful and uh, it would just change our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen. Amen. All right. So James chapter 2, if you brought a Bible today, you're welcome to turn with me to James chapter 2. If not, it'll be on the screen. And uh, we're going to talk about three kinds of faith this morning. And I believe that uh, what I'm going to challenge you to think about is that every one of us have one of these three kinds of faith. And so what I want you to do is I want you to identify which kind of faith that you have. And uh, as we walk through them, I think it'll be very obvious and you'll be able to see it clearly. So the premise of this particular series that's, that Shane started last week is simply this, is that it, faith has to have more than words. It does. Faith is more than just words. It has action to it. So it is, it is one of those things that faith will always produce, listen to this carefully, authentic fruit. Faith always produces authentic fruit. So if you say you have faith, I challenge you to look in the mirror and ask the question, what kind of fruit do I have inside of my life? Because it always, always, always produces fruit. That's just the nature of it. It always produces fruit. So faith is so important. So the question then is, how important is faith? How important is faith inside of our lives? So let me just kind of introduce some concepts to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, the Bible says that without faith, that it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So there's no way that I can be in a pleasing relationship to God if I'm not exhibiting faith that is very dynamic and powerful. So the second thing that I would suggest to you is that faith is the basis of our salvation before God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So faith is the very foundation of our relationship to the living God. And the other thing that I would suggest to you is that whatever we do apart from faith is called sin in the Bible. That's Romans chapter 14, verse number 23. So then you see, see how important faith is? Faith is this central piece in the Christian life that without it, I'm lost and I need to develop it and I need to grow in my faith and I need to be, and I need to be constantly persevering inside of my faith. So I... I, to help you understand this, I brought a little prop here today. This is a bottle of antibiotics. And uh, so let me just suggest to you that I can go to the store, I can go to the drugstore, and I can purchase or I can get my antibiotics. But if I don't ever use them, they're worthless. The bottom line is, is faith is like an antibiotic. I can believe that it exists. I can trust that it exists. I can look at the pill inside the bottle and say, wow, there's a pill inside the bottle. I can believe that it exists. I can even believe that if I take this pill, it's going to make me better. I can believe that with all of my heart. But the reality is, unless I actually open the bottle 
and take the pill and, and take them till they're empty, I'm not going to be well. That's the bottom line. That's what the way faith is. Faith has to be acted upon. You can't just passively approach faith with just words. Faith is far more than just words. So with that in mind, let's go to James chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I want to suggest to you that there are three kinds of faith. So let's look at the first kind of faith. The first kind of faith is what I'm going to entitle dead faith. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Dead faith. But there is something, there is such a thing as dead faith in the Bible. So let me show it to you in the Bible. In James chapter 2, verse 14, this is what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not show it by your actions? Stop there. The answer to that question is not implied, it doesn't matter anything. It's, it's no good. Can that kind of faith save anyone? The answer is absolutely not. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and get well, eat well, then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? The answer is it doesn't do any good. You see, faith by itself is not enough. It's not an emotion. Faith is always seen in the Bible as a verb. It's an action. It's what I'm doing. It's not what I'm be necessarily what I'm believing. It's how what I'm believing is turning itself into what I'm actually performing. And you cannot separate those two things. It's so important. It is dead and useless if I don't have works accompanying it. So that's the last phrase in this section of Scripture says, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So there is a kind of faith. Listen to this carefully. It comes right out of the text. There is a kind of faith that is described by James as dead and useless. And I pray that that's not your kind of faith. Let me describe the characteristics of that kind of faith. First of all, that kind of faith is, I would term it with, it has lifelessness to it. There's no life at all. It doesn't produce anything in your life. You know, Jesus came and said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And the centerpiece of that is faith. And if faith is not producing something that's alive inside of you, then you probably have a dead faith. In dead faith, words are substituted for deeds. I just talk a good talk. I talk a good talk, but I don't perform. I mean, it's, a, it's, like, it's like a football team can get all you know, excited before the game. But the reality is it doesn't matter what happens until you go out on that field and play the game. You can be as excited as you want to about anything in your life, but the reality is you've got to work it out. You've got to gut it out. You've got you to live it out in life every day. That's faith. That's, that's the kind of faith that God wants. So words can't be substituted for reality. And it's an intellectual thing. If it's a dead faith, it's, an, it's all intellectual. It's all about theories and things. And, and it's all great to think about. But the reality is, unless it equates to the fact that I am now putting feet to that faith, I have a dead faith. And most importantly, this kind of faith can't save you. It's dead. It can't save you. So I want to tell a story from my personal life. So many of you know my history. So uh, years ago, back in the old days, back in the ancient days, um, I, you know, came here to Nevada and uh, actually started my seven-year career here at Nevada. And uh, I thought the first year was all about partying. I thought that was the classes I was going to. It was partying. But that, I found out after I got a, you know, like a 1.7 the first semester, I found out that I found out that that probably wasn't the right approach to going to college. So I, you know, been eventually graduated seven years later. And, and uh, so while, while, I was, while I was in this journey, I pledged a fraternity. And uh, it was an ungodly fraternity. It was, it was noted for its fighting and drinking and, and carousing and all that kind of thing. And 
So what happened was, is that one day, Campus Crusade, it was lunchtime, Campus Crusade for Christ came by to my fraternity. And they said, they, you know, they gave a gospel presentation. They said, if you'll, you know, believe on Jesus, you know, and what I heard is yada, 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 until they got to the part that they said, anybody that doesn't want to go to hell, raise your hand. I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? Do you want to go to hell? I didn't think so. So I didn't want to go to hell, so I said, okay, I'll raise my hand. So they said, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to not go to hell, pray this prayer. So I, you know, raised my hand and I said, dear Jesus, I don't know what I said after that. And uh, I prayed this, you know, prayer that they led me word by word in. And uh, I said, amen, and, you know, put my hand down. And so that day, Campus Crusade for Christ, this is not a, an attack on them, by the way. Just don't interpret that. Camp, this, is, this is bad me. So Campus Crusade that day counted me as a convert. They said, aha, we got one of those ATO guys. And... Uh, and, you know, they probably were, went back and were boasting about that and going, you know, we went to the ATO house and, you know, this guy got saved. And, and I'm, that night I went out and um, I got drunk. <laughs> and I continued the kind of lifestyle that I had before that prayer for the next three years. And I'll get back to that story in just a minute. But, you know, if you were to ask me, are you going to go to heaven? I'd say, oh, yes, I prayed the prayer. Raise my hand. I raised my hand. I raised my hand. I prayed the prayer. And I certainly, I'm not going to hell. No, I'm not. I believe in God. I believe, you know, and I, I had all that spiel down. And yet my life had no fruit to it. It had no validity to it. There was no evidence that I believed at all inside of my life. And that lasted for several years. And, I, and I, did, I did whatever I wanted to do. And I lived my life in any way I wanted to live. And I didn't restrain anything from my life. And uh, it was a very ungodly lifestyle. And yet, if you were to ask me, if you were to ask me, are you, <clears throat> are you on your word to heaven? I would have said, of course I am. I raised my hand. I prayed the prayer. Now stop there for just a minute. There are some of you, there are people all across America that have raise their hand in a service, at a crusade, somewhere along the way, at a youth event, raise their hand and said whatever they're going to say, dear Jesus, yada, 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 yada. And they put their ha hand down and they believe they're going to heaven because they prayed a prayer. Now listen to me very carefully. A prayer does not take you to heaven. It doesn't. You have to believe in your heart. And you have to have repentance. You have to have a change of faith. You have to have a change of direction inside of your life. And it has to be accompanied by a sense of fruit in your life. And so this kind of faith, I, I had dead faith. That's the, that's the nature of it. And I believe with all my heart all across America, churches in America are filled with people that raise their hand, pray to prayer, but there's no life inside of their soul. I, feel, I think the churches in America are filled with those kinds of people. There's no evidence that there's any way they're living differently than anybody else in the world. There's no evidence that they are living in a way that is a calling from Jesus. And listen to this very carefully. The Bible says this, that many shall come to me and say, Lord, Lord, in that day. And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And he also said, narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and few be that find it. So dead faith doesn't get me to heaven. That's the kind of faith that I had. 
And I pray and trust that maybe you have a different kind of faith, but I need to, I need to tell you this honestly. I mean, look me in the eyes, put your seatbelt on. It's gonna be a hard question. You've gotta ask, you gotta actually ask the question, look yourself in the mirror and say, does my faith produce anything in my life? You gotta look yourself in the mirror and be honest about it. And you have to ask this question. You have to say, does my faith have any validity? Can people look at my faith and see life inside of me? Can they see a different me? Can they see different activity? Can they see that I have this fruit that's bearing? Because in John 15, that's what Jesus said. Jesus in John 15 said that, you know, the Father is the, is he, that the, Father is the gardener and he's the vine and that we are to be attached to that vine and his purpose for our life is that you and I be fruit bearing in our relationship to God. That's the nature of what it means to be a Christ follower. And yet in America, there are tons of people that come to church every weekend, faithful to church, do all, go through all the right motions. And if you were to ask them, do you, do you know Jesus? They say, yes, I raised my hand. I prayed a prayer. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. I'm good. That's dead faith. There's a second kind of faith that's going to sound weird to you when I say it. There's a kind of faith that the Bible describes as demonic faith. It does. It describes it as demonic faith. So let me read it in the text so you know that I'm not just making this stuff up. I mean, I'm not. It's this powerful. James chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you do not have good deeds? That's a good question. Then he says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. That's sarcastic, by the way. James is using a little sarcasm here. Good for you. Good for you. Good on you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So there's a second kind of faith, which I'm going to describe as demonic faith, because it comes right out of the text. The devils believe also. So what would the devils believe about Jesus? That's a great question. The devils believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The devils believe that Jesus went to the cross and died for sin. The devils believe in a judgment that's going to come. They know about that judgment which is to come. The, the devils believe a lot of things that you and I believe. And yet, they're not saved, never will be saved. And there's this, this, there's this thing that is described as demonic faith. So the characteristics of demonic faith are simply this. There is a belief in God. Yes, I believe. I can remember as a five-year-old child, I would lay in bed and I would pray, I would pray this prayer, uh, you know, something that went like, you know, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before, you know, I don't, can't remember it now, but I remember at five years old praying that prayer every night. I believed in God, but I was not a child of God. I was still apart from faith. And I had a demonic faith because I believed. I believed. My grandmother had told me about Jesus from the day that I was, you know, could hear. And I, so I believed in his work, but I had never, never appropriated it in a way that actually took root inside of my soul and changed me. The characteristics are belief in God, belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. Belief, they, devils even believe in hell. This kind of faith, however, cannot ever save you. And so there are some of you here today that probably have what is called a demonic faith. You believe that Jesus died. You believe that he is the son of God. You believe that he's coming to judge. You, pro you probably even believe that he's coming again. But that doesn't save you until it takes root inside of your heart. There's a third kind of faith that James describes here that is so powerful and so real and so powerful, and this is called delivering faith. 
In James chapter 2, verse 21, this is what it says. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Shane talked about this when he talked about some of the names of God. Powerful message. You see, his faith and his actions work together. So what we're seeing here is that I have to have some action. Faith is always a verb. It produces something in my life. So you see his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scripture says, Abraham believed God and was counted unto him as righteousness because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. You see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Not by some thing that we call faith that we just, you know, it's, you know, it's pious in the sky. It's just, you know, it's just stuff that we just, you know, intellectually cons- consent to. But the reality is until I'm actually abiding in Jesus Christ, I don't have the kind of faith that saves me at all. And yet I go home and feel good about myself. And so I'm just simply saying that's the kind of faith. This delivering faith has some characteristics to it and it is powerful. It is good. These characteristics are, are this. It has a deep commitment to the work of Christ. A deep commitment to the work of Christ to the point that I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to follow Jesus to the end. That's saving faith. I don't care what happens. I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care if my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my dad or my pastor, I don't care if anybody denies Jesus. I won't. That's saving faith. That's the kind of faith that God wants you and I to have. It is marked by an obedience from the heart to Christ. It's, a, it's marked by the fact that I'm now called to follow Jesus, to pick up my cross every day and follow him. Follow him in suffering, follow him in good times, follow him in bad times. I'm to follow Jesus. I'm to look for him. I'm to look for him every day. That, my friend, is what the Bible calls delivering faith. So let me finish the story about my faith. So you heard the part where I prayed this prayer, raised my hand, said, dear Jesus, I don't want to go to hell. So yada, 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 amen. And that's probably how it came out to God. That's probably what God, God heard, yada, 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 amen. And he's going, oh, Dan. Oh, Dan, you wait for a couple of years and let's just see what happens. So let's fast forward that story. Three years later, after I'd prayed this lifeless prayer, this empty prayer that had no meaning to me and didn't have any fruit in my life, didn't change one thing about my life externally. Three years after that, there was this couple that kept on calling us and inviting us to church. And, I, and I'm thinking, leave us alone. Leave us stinking alone. Come on. I prayed the prayer. Leave me alone. I raised my hand in church. I raised my hand in church. I'm okay. And uh, so they kept inviting us, inviting us, inviting us. And one time they called us up and said, hey, do you want to go to a, you know, they called up my wife, the scout called up my wife and said, hey, the, ch- the church is having a potluck dinner down at the church on Friday night. Would you like to come? And my wife put her hand over the phone. You know, the, these are the old time phones, you know, that, you know, there wasn't cell phones in those days. This was, you know, actually had to dial with your finger, you know, r- you know, in circles, you know, that type of thing. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> And so Google it sometime. It's interesting. It's an interesting story. Anyway, back to my story. So my wife cupped her hand over the phone and said, hey, they want us to go to this, this, pot, that, this potluck. You want to go? And I said, heck no. And I don't think I used the word heck. You know, I'm probably pretty sure that I didn't. And, uh, and so I, and I said, this is what I said. I don't know why I said it. I don't know how it came out. I don't know why it came out. But this is what I said. 
tell them, tell her specifically, that we're going to come to church next Sunday. We're going to be there. I was a pagan, but I was a pagan in my word. And so I just, you know, I was. I mean, I, that's how I lived. And so tell her that we're going to be in church. And, but here's the, here's, the, here's the caveat. Here's the, here's the string. We don't want you to ever bother us again. Leave us the alone. And I probably filled the word in then, okay? And so, so my wife got on the phone and, and she said it just as rudely as I just said it. And uh, so we set the boundaries. I'm a guy of boundaries. So I want to set the boundaries, you know, because boundaries are healthy. So I'm going to say, don't have any expectations of me ever, ever coming back to this church. That's the boundary I'm setting for you. So my wife and I, pagan, pagans of our word, we show up in church, and that day the pastor got up and preached a message, and every point of his message was a point that my wife and I had discussed personally. I mean personally. The God of the universe actually listens to your conversations. And so every point, and I, my wife, my wife one, at one point looked at the girl that invited us and said, did you tell him we're coming? <laughs> that is true. That's a true story. And she said, you don't know, he's been out of town all week. And so, so that day, I mean, they gave an old-fashioned invitation to come forward. And I, hey, I'm not going to go. I'm not going forward. No way. I'm not going forward. Because you know why? I raised my hand. I prayed the prayer. Yada, yada, yada. I'm okay. Just leave me alone. So, the, you know, I white-knuckled the you know, back of the pew. And I, I'm not going to go forward. So I didn't. And uh, my wife and I went and got in my truck to drive home that day. And uh, my heart was just pounding out of my chest. And so I looked at her halfway home and I said, we got to talk to that guy. This guy just preached a sermon about everything that you and I have ever discussed. And she knew it and I knew it. And so that afternoon, we, he came over to my apartment uh, and I got down on my knees. And this time I didn't say yada, yada, yada. This time I bawled like a baby in repentance and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I invited him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I have to tell you, my life has never been the same since. I, we actually, they had, you know, Sunday night services and, you know, there was different, you know, like it's not like we, we have Sunday night, but this was like they had three different services and so we actually showed up for Sunday night services and the pastor looked at us and said, what are you doing here? And I said, I said, hey, we're Christians, but this is what we do now. I, no one told me that. I mean, I just knew innately, I just knew innately that this is a God who changes lives. And if he knows the future, I mean, I was stunned. And this time I didn't pray, pray this prayer because I didn't want to go to hell. I prayed this prayer because this is a God who knows me. And I want to know that God who knows me. And I got on my knees, and that day I got off my knees. And I'm telling you, my life has never been the same since. And I don't go back to a time that I prayed a prayer. I go to, back to a time when God intersected my life and infused in me as a gift faith to believe in him. And from that day forward, you could look at my life and you could begin to see not perfection, but you could see progress. For 40-some for 40 years now, you've seen progress in my life. That's called delivering faith. And if I'm not describing you here today, if that's not your kind of faith, then my friend, listen to me carefully. I beg you. I beg you. The only kind of faith that saves is delivering faith. There will be a lot of people at the judgment of God that don't make it into the kingdom of God because they have, they have, substituted, they have substituted a shallow faith for delivering faith, and I'm asking you not to do that.
I want to end our time together with two stories, one quote and then a story. And this is such a powerful thing. There's an old dead guy by the name of William Booth. Have you ever heard of him? He's actually the founder of the Salvation Army. You know those people that ring bells at Christmas time and pick up stuff? That was, William Booth was their founder. And amazing man of God. And he said this. This is how he described this delivering faith that I've described, that James describes. He says, faith and works travel side by side like the legs of a man walking. Like the legs of a man walking. First faith, then works, then faith, and again, then again works until you can seriously see which one is which. That's how it works. So when you see a person of faith, you can't tell whether it's faith or works. You just, you just see a man walking. You just see two legs moving. That's how faith and works work together. And if there's no evidence of your salvation, I dare say this. I'm sorry if I offend anybody here today. I'm sorry. But if you don't have that kind of faith, you're not yet saved. You have the wrong kind of faith. Because the kind of faith that saves you is the kind of faith that Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and you can't help but produce fruit because he's producing it in you all the days of your life until he takes you home to be with him. That's delivering faith. That's how William Booth described it. So I want to tell you one final story that I think is so powerful. It's about a guy by the name of William Borden. Have you ever heard of him? He's an old dead guy too. Actually, he was a young dead guy because about around the early 1900s, he decided that he was going to renounce his, his fortune. He was a millionaire at the age of 21, a millionaire in 1900, which means that he would have been a billionaire today. We're talking about a Bill Gates type of a guy. We're talking about somebody who has that kind of money and that kind of power. William Borden renounced his, his fortune and he took it and he gave it all away to the, for the sake of the gospel. Gave it away. And he decided that God had called him to go to China to, to work with Muslims there. And so that's, where, that's, what it, that's what his heart was set on. And so in the process of going to China, he stopped in Egypt where he studied Arabic for a short period of time. And about four months into this process, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. And you say, what a tragedy. And I say he gave more to the cause of Christ than most people. But listen to this. You could go and you can visit his grave. If you, if you travel to Cairo, you can go into the graveyard where he is buried and you can listen and you can read what I'm about to read to you because it is so powerful. If you're ever in Cairo, that's, that's, that's something you got to do. So this is what is on his inscription of his grave. He says something about the fact that he has this faith in Christ and his love for the Muslims and uh, it's very powerful and then this statement is um, what I want you to hear me say loud and clear he on his inscription on his grave it says apart from Christ there is no explanation for such a life he didn't put that on his grave others put it on for him this is what they said about William Borden apart from his faith in Christ, there is no explanation for his life. So now comes the million-dollar question in your life. Don't miss it. Here it comes. What is the explanation for your life? What's the explanation for your life? When people look at you, well, how do they explain you? Oh, he loves money. He loves vacations. 
He loves sports. He, I'm saying, listen to me carefully, unless Christ is the only reason you live, then what you have is a faith that is substandard. Because people who have genuine faith have such a flow out of their life, an abiding flow, God's fruit it just comes out of their life. And I'm simply saying this to you. Listen to me. Answer this question. Look yourself in the mirror and ask the question, what is the, what is the explanation for my life? What is it? I guarantee you that you'll regret it someday if you don't ask that question. What is the explanation for your life? Apart from a resolute faith in the living Christ and his finished work, there is no meaning, there's no meaningful explanation of your life or mine. That's ha that has to be it. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. That's what it means. To have saving, delivering faith in Jesus is to have no other explanation for your life except for Christ and him crucified. That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. And I pray it's so in your life.